are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I'm very excited this morning to introduce our guest speaker uh, to you. We got to hear our guest speaker this morning uh, for the first time in July. Uh, We went to Nazarene Youth Conference in Louisville, Kentucky. We took 67 of our students to go to this event, and Eric spoke at that event. And it was in that service in which many of our students' lives were transformed. Because he is a person who is allowing God to use him in such incredible ways. He is a person who is allowing God to transform his life so that he can transform others. Eric is an author. He writes books. He's an artist, as you can see. And he's a great pastor. Eric uh, has been speaking over at SNU for Extravaganza for the last several days. I got to see uh, on Thursday night a moment in which Eric asked students to give their life to Christ. And I began to watch students for the first time in that service stand up and give their life to Christ. That's something to be praised. That is something to be glorified because those students' lives from this point forward will be forever changed because of the way in which God is transforming Eric. So I am excited to introduce to you, please give a warm welcome to Mr. Eric Samuel Tim. Good morning, everyone. Let me just move this pulpit. I love pulpits, but only in traditional services. And this is the non-traditional service. So you people are crazy. I love it. I'm a pastor, an author, an artist, a Netflix subscriber. You too? Are you a Netflix subscriber or do you just borrow someone's login? (laughs) Moment of truth. How many of you borrow people's logins? Okay. It's okay. You just have to talk to Jesus about that one someday. Now, I live in Minnesota, and let me just simply say, I love coming to Oklahoma. Okay? Like in February. Because I'm from Minnesota. And I do think it's funny when I meet some of you and it's in the fall or spring or when it's 60 degrees and you think it's chilly. It's like 60 out and you're like, I'm going to put on a jacket tonight. No, no. It's 60 degrees like (laughs) that. I'm going swimming. Uh, My wife is been married to me for 15 years. We've got three beautiful kids, and it's good to be here. We've, we've had an absolutely amazing time at uh, SNU. What a great resource that is for your community, like right across the street, uh, shaping leaders that are literally impacting the world. So when Pastor Blair asked if I wanted to come and speak at this thing called Extravaganza, I said yes, and then the church, you know, sort of extended the invitation to be here, and of course I, I said yes, and so I don't think it's by chance, by the way, that you're here either. I don't know how you got here, whether it would be a car or a train or a horse or buggy or both, I, but you're not, you're not here just by, by chance. God has got you here for, for a reason. Um, I love that about him, how he orchestrates our lives when we don't see it being orchestrated. Like, you may not have ever felt God before, but it doesn't mean he hasn't been working and moving on your behalf ahead of time. So you're not here by mistake. I want you to know that. I want you to know that the God of the universe has had your life on a crash course with not me, but with his word and what his son did for you. So you're in a good place. You did something right today. You came to church. You're in this place. I love it. Um, there's all kinds of things that I love. Funnel cakes. Okay, judge-free zone, ladies. I love funnel cakes. Anyone else love funnel cakes? Okay, finally. Some of you are like, afraid to admit that. You love sugar fried in mass amounts of other fats and then coated with sugar. That's okay. If funnel cakes are in heaven, I've thought about this a lot. I'm going to be ticked, Okay. We're going to get there. I'm going to be like, Lord, thought you said there was no suffering. What's up with the no funnel cakes? Hallowed be your name. Where are they? (laughs) 
And God just says, hold out your hand. Shut your eyes. Oh, funnel cake. It just appears in my hand. And then there's no powdered sugar. That's the best part. So I'm like, Lord, powdered sugar, please. And then an angel comes over, flicks out its wings, and kind of like flicks its fingers through its wings, and powdered sugar falls from the angel's wings. Now you know. Some of you tomorrow are going to be like, halfway through your donut, I, I can't finish this. There's all kinds of things that I love, okay? My kids, my wife, um, snow, uh, snowboarding. I mean, we could go through the list of random things that I absolutely love. People, places, things that I go to. Th- you are the same. You have a list in your mind. If you were going to look into yourself or into the mirror and ask yourself, what do you love? You'd come up with people. You'd come up with that family trip to Aruba. You'd come up with whatever it may be, but you have a list of things that you love, whether it be hunting, fishing, or shopping, or your grandkids. You, you put them all on that list of things that you like and love. There's a hierarchical piece there to us all. Some of the things that we're interested in, some of the things we really are really dedicated to, but you have a list and I have a list. We as humans have things that we like to do, period. So at the top of my list, near the top, you know, closer to the top, is telling people about Jesus. I love doing it. Because uh, he's more than what you think. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Jesus before we get to the word. Jesus was a master teacher. He was a rabbi uh, that taught with uh, smicha. But to be a rabbi, you'd teach the Torah. Everybody say that with me. The first th- five books of the Bible is the Torah. Say that word. Torah. One, two, three. Torah. The first five books of the Torah you would teach, okay? And Jesus did this as a rabbi. He teached this part of the Bible, the Torah, the first five books. To do that, you'd have to have the first five books memorized, okay? So let that sink in just for a second. If you were going to be a master Torah teacher, one of the things you'd have to do is memorize the first five books of the Bible. That was part of your job. It's like if you're going to be a plumber, you need like a mid-80s white Astro van, and a plunger, and pants that just don't fit right. <laughs> know what I'm talking about? It's okay to laugh in church. That's funny. But this is the prerequisite for being a master Torah teacher, is knowing the first five books of the Bible. Jesus wasn't just a master Torah teacher, though. He was a master Torah teacher that taught with <clears throat> smicha. That's a fun one to say, but you, you have to get out of your southern twang, and you've got to get into your Hebrew, and so on the count of three, everybody just go like this. Ready? One, two, three. Now you can all speak Hebrew. That's all you have to do. That was way too much Hebrew, ma'am. I think you missed it Hebrew over here. Smicha, okay? It's a word for authority. Say that word with me. One, two, three. Smicha. Jesus was a master Torah teacher that taught with Smicha. Now, the only way that you got smicha up until this point, the only way that you actually got it, was um, if there was another rabbi with smicha, or authority, that laid his hands on you in a public place and said, I've got smicha. And then another rabbi with smicha laid his hands on, a public place, uh, on you in a public place and said, I've got smicha. Now, we've got smicha. Both of us have smicha. Now, we say that this rabbi can go and teach with smicha. And to do that... You'd have not only the first five books of the Bible memorized, you'd have to have the entire Old Testament or the Tanik, this part of the Bible, memorized. And we're, and we're supposed to be like Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I have more movie lines memorized than that. So I figured we have a few minutes left today. Let's get started. Genesis 1.1. We'll see how far we get by 2. In the beginning, just repeat after me, and we'll just, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Impossible task, right? I mean, it's it's, it's kind of discouraging a little bit. But let me take the pressure off yourself. If you know more of God's word than you did last week, you're on the right track. Okay? If you know less then you're standing still. If you know more of God's word than you did the week before, you are on the path of becoming more like Christ. Because he knew this much. How about us? 
fact, I did the math. If you did it, um, 30 words a day at the time that you started at age six, depending on the translation, memorizing 30 words a day, remembering those 30 words all the way to the age 66 or 70, depending on the translation, you'd finally have it down. So let's just put that in context here. No more than you did the week before and you're on the right track. Because this isn't just a book and a hotel drawer. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we'll get you one today. Or stay at a hotel. (laughs) Continental breakfast and a free Bible. Take it. That's where I got this one, but whatever. (laughs) This is the actual word of God speaking to you about you, me, and us. And so I've met so many people um, that wrestle with this. Order. Like so many people want to have God speak to them, but they don't place themselves in a place where he's already spoken. I meet so many people that check their Facebook and their Instagram and their Twitter or their newspaper or whatever before they read God's word and they wonder why they live out of order and they have no order. And that was me. For a huge part of my own personal walk with Jesus having nothing to do with my ministry, I would always want God to speak to me, but yet I would know more movie lines than I would know this. And then the hunger for him started to outweigh the hunger for something else. The sword that is in the hotel drawer or that distractive remote that's on that nightstand, we get to choose what we're going to pick up every day, the sword or the remote. If I could say anything to this generation, no matter what generation you're from, there's no mistake that in the beginning God's Spirit was hovering over the water and when God said and the Spirit of God collides with the first time that the Word of God, God says the Spirit and the Word and the lights turn on, creation is born. That can happen to you as well. Because God isn't in a box, He's in you. And when you put yourself in front of what God is saying... When that word and that spirit collide, you you get to see things that you didn't before. Jesus knew the word. He taught it with smicha, with this authority. And by the way, as parents, as a parent of three kids, can I just simply say this family day where you have like once a month or whatever it is, a quarter or whatever, where you bring in all of the kids and you sit here as a family, keep doing that as a church. Don't stop doing that. Because that's Deuteronomy 6, Dad. Let your son watch you worship. Worship with your family, with your daughter. Let you both come underneath this teaching of what God has for you and talk about it on the way home. This is um, important. Important for us. As followers of Jesus. So Jesus uh, teaches with smicha. Is that clear? He teaches with authority. And to do that, you had to have the first five books of the Bible memorized. The only way that you got this authority was through this sort of ceremony and this memorization. Now, Jesus was the only rabbi that ever got his authority direct from God. When he's baptized, the heavens rip open, and God says, This is my son, whom all smicha, whom all authority is been given. What he says about the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, is the final say. How he interprets it, his commentary is it. The buck stops with him. He's the rabbi of rabbis. He's my son. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to uh, be raised from the dead. And whatever he says goes. If he says something, teaches something, listen. This is who Jesus is. And he uses a teaching technique all through his life um, called remez. Let me say that with me. Remez. Remez is a hint or a clue, okay? I'll give you one that's pretty synonymous with this part of the region. Uh, You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You know that. Um, To infinity. Uh, Wow, some Toy Story fans here. (laughs) The third Toy Story, I cried like a baby. Andy's giving his toys away. I'm just like... (laughs) going to go to college. It's not SNU, but whatever. (laughs) 
So I gave you a hint or a clue and you filled in the rest. Uh, that's a remez. Jesus did that time and time again with the disciples. He'd give them a hint or a clue and then they'd have to fill in the rest. It's like um, he knew that what we uncover ourselves has value to us. What you uncover, what you dig for yourself, that's what you truly uncover. If someone gives it to you or uncovers it for you, then it's really not your pursuit. It's their gift. For instance, a, I don't know, your first car or your first BB gun or whatever it may be. You could go through the list of things that you worked for and that you saved for and that you pined for and then you earned it and you bought it and you cared for it far greater than anything that has ever been given to you because you worked for it. You uncovered it. It was yours. It what became a part of your lifeblood discovery. That's how we are. And Jesus knew this because he's really, really smart in how he teaches his disciples. He gives them this remez or this hint or clue time and time again. Okay, now let's go to our text with those two things in mind about Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, I just pray right now that as we look to this portion of Scripture that Whoever is here that wouldn't consider themselves a follower of Jesus, God, that today would be the day they make the decision to follow you, to give their life to you. God, you've been interrupting their life and chasing them down, and I pray that they would realize that their life has been given to them by you. And you are to give theirs. They are to give theirs to you. Remind them, God, of all the things that you've done Meet them in the bottom of their pit, the far part of their tree where they've been shoved away and forgotten. Speak to them. And Jesus, the people that are here that are followers of Jesus, let us not be comfortable. Move us to a place where we we have to follow you and to places that we're just not always comfortable going. Give us that strength. In Jesus' name. Anybody says? Amen. One of my most favorite portions of Scripture, Luke 19, verse 1, reading from the Word of God. You ready? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Verse 2. He climbed up a sycamore tree. Verse 3. And as the Savior... Do you remember the song? Do you remember the song? Okay, let's sing it, okay? Just for fun. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was Stop singing. Okay. Some of you aren't doing the motions. You have to do the motions. I mean... You ready? Let's do it. If I, if I don't see the motions, I'm coming back there. Trust me. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up... Nobody climbs like that. To see... And as a savior path. Okay, stop for a second. Look what you're doing. This is Jesus running through Jericho, bounding like a white tail. Hey guys! You know what I'm saying? Look at the vertical on Jesus. OU needed him against Villanova. Look at this. Woo! Too soon? Sorry. I was rooting for him. Or, you know, that Jesus passes the way like doing the icky, whichever. Okay? Think about what we're teaching our kids here. Moving on. Jesus enters through Jericho, and there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. They called him Zach for short because he was small in stature. He was a short guy, so they called him Zacchaeus. They called him Zach. For short, get it? Okay, moving on. And he was, a ch- he was a tax collector, okay? And how this worked in this part of society at this time, Zacchaeus would be waiting for you wherever you work at your work. At, on Friday, you get your paycheck. It's direct deposit or you actually pick up a piece of paper. And Zacchaeus would be waiting there after you get your check. And Zacchaeus would just put his hand out for the government. And then Zacchaeus would put his other hand out for him. Okay? And Zacchaeus would take money for the government, the tax collector, and then he would take money for himself. And that's why he's rich, because he was taking money from people for himself. Now, I, I don't know people that would like a person like that very much. 
I know that I don't see a lot of OU, go OU bumper stickers and go IRS bumper stickers. I know we don't really like tax collectors. I mean, push comes to shove, I don't see someone just wearing an I, I you know, I, I love the IRS shirt. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just not something we do. Come on, it's okay. We're talking about taxes. Everyone's like, ooh, wow. The idea, though, is like, think about it from this perspective. It's, it's not just paying tax. It's actually he's taking money from you that he's keeping for himself. You earned it. He gets it just because he's a tax collector. It's this corrupt, shady system he's a part of. And uh, Zacchaeus is this tax collector, and he runs ahead to try and see Jesus, so he climbs up a shikma, a sycamore tree, in order to see him. Jesus is coming through Jericho, you know, bounding like a white-tailed deer, and Zacchaeus can't see him, so he gets up in a tree to try and see Jesus come this way. And Jesus comes to the point where this little tax collector is up in a tree named Zacchaeus, and Jesus sees him. Jesus comes to the place and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go eat at your house. Now that's just something that you don't do when you are a rabbi that teaches with smicha. You don't eat at tax collectors' houses. It's like the Montagues and the Capulets, the Jets and the Shark, or what we could put in modern context, OU and Villanova. It's like that. You don't do that. That's them. You are you. They're over there. You're over here. You don't cross that divide. And Jesus says simply this, Hey, Zacchaeus, come out of the tree. I'm going to go eat with you. And the meal in this context is far greater than our context. And Zacchaeus comes down. And they, these religious leaders, these Sadducees that see this, they begin to grumble and say, He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They use the word sinner. They don't say he's going to Zacchaeus' house. These Sadducees have literally stripped Zacchaeus of his identity. Now, context of the word sinner there, just for a second. Um, the priests, the Sadducees, had a sort of a logistical problem on their hands. In the Torah, it says that you're not supposed to touch any graven image. But in this time, during the temple system, all of the currency had graven images on them, like Caesars and other dif- different leaders of the time. So if you're a priest and you've got to like, collect money into the temple and your law, the Torah, says you can't touch coins with Abraham Lincoln's head on it because it's a graven image, what do you do? You get a guy named Zacchaeus and you say, will you be the sinner for us? I mean, we always think about Zacchaeus being this, like, this vile human that does all these things, but Zacchaeus, he was just doing his job that the church had given him. To say, we can't touch the money. Will you miss the mark for us? Will you become the sinner and bring us the money? So he had gone to be a guest of this man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said, Lord, behold, I'll give half of my possessions, and if I defrauded anyone enough, I will give them four times as much. That's your homework for this week. Because here, back here in the Torah, there's a reason why Zacchaeus says four times. Dig for it. Today, God's salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. Today, Yeshua has come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which was lost. So imagine this story just for a second. You've got a couple people here in Luke 19. You've got the crowd, like the gathered crowd like you. You're gathered here. You've got, well, um, the religious leaders, the Sadducees. You've got this group here. Then you've got Zacchaeus up in a tree, like maybe like right here. And then you've got us. Because of Luke's gospel, thousands of years later, we are here at Bethany First, and what did, what did the crowd hear? What did the Sadducees hear? What did Zacchaeus hear? And what do I think we should hear? Like, how does this apply to us? So the first question, the Sadducees. They heard Jesus simply say this. The Son of Man has come in to seek and to save which was lost. Luke 19, verse 10. The Son of Man has come in to seek and to save which was lost. Lost. It ends with the period in our Bible, but that's not how that ends. In Ezekiel 34, 16, let me read you how it ends. 
I will seek and to save which was lost, bring back the scattered and bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. Do you remember the remez? Do you remember the hint? Do you remember the clue? Do you remember that you can't lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink? Do you remember to infinity and beyond? Do you remember that remez or that hint or clue? Jesus gives them a hint or clue right here. He says, um, Son of Man is coming to seek and to save which was lost. And all of the religious leaders that know the major prophet Ezekiel, the Sadducees, they know what Jesus is referring to. They immediately hear Jesus say this, I will seek that which is lost. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. No wonder the Sadducees wanted to kill Jesus back here. Because what he just said right here was Ezekiel 34, 16. He gave him a remez, a hint or clue. Putting people up in trees like this. I'm going to deal with you. Jesus gives hint or clues all the time, even on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The hit songs of the day on the radio from Taylor Swift or whoever you listen to, there's a certain element where if we started singing songs up here, you fill in the rest of the songs because you've heard it so many times. Psalm 23 is the the hit radio station of the time, and Jesus is on the cross dying for the sins of the world. His bones are out of joint. Who knows where he's at in this process? And Jesus just simply says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It ends with the period, but everybody knows who knows the Psalm 22 says, That's not how that ends. My God, my God, reading from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Far from my deliverance from my words of my groaning. My God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night I have no rest. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. Jesus is on the cross and he just simply says if you want to understand what's going on here this is what's happening and then he continues you lay me down on the desk of the death and the dogs have surrounded me a band of evil doers has encompassed me I can count my bones they pierced my hands and my feet they divide my garments and for my clothing they cast lots but you O Lord are not far off you may help Hasten to my assistance. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He lay, I mean, Jesus is on the cross and he just simply says, you want to know what's going on here? Psalm 22, but Psalm 23 is coming. Remez, hinterclue. Jesus says this to the Sadducees and the Sadducees hear what he says and they wanted to kill him. What did the crowd hear? Well, the crowd heard Jesus say this. Today, verse 9, God's salvation, uh, Yeshua, has come to this house. How you say Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. How you say God's salvation is Yeshua. Now, if you grew up like me, watching WWF or WWE, you know what I'm talking about right now? Some of you are like nodding your head. Okay, Brutus the Barter Beefcake, that was my guy, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. All those wrestlers would refer to themselves in the third person, okay? The rock's going to get you. They would always say things like their self and their name. Jesus isn't doing that here. He's not a, he's not a wrestler that's saying, yo, you know, Jesus is coming to your house, Zacchaeus. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is, is saying something and the crowd wants to know, Did Jesus just say, today Yeshua is coming to this house? Or did Jesus just say, today Jesus is coming to this house? Which is it? Because if you're waiting for a Messiah and someone stands up in front of a crowd and says, today God's salvation is coming to this house, or today Jesus is coming to this house, you're not really sure what he means. And so no wonder the crowd followed him. What did Zacchaeus hear? Okay, Zacchaeus hears something that I think he hasn't heard in a long time. His name. Have you ever forgotten somebody's name? And then you look on their Facebook to try and find it? Or you text a friend and you're like, what is their name? It's that awkward sort of moment where you feel like you forgot part of who they are because it's part of who we are. Our name is a part of our identity. And when you forget somebody's name that you're supposed to know... It's like you forgot who they are. And Zacchaeus is up in this tree, and Jesus says, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. 
Zacchaeus, come out of the tree. Uses his name. Everyone else called him sinner. Jesus calls him Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus' name has meaning. And it's got great implications for your life. Zacchaeus' name means pure. Everybody calls him sinner, but Jesus calls him pure. Everybody says, it's this guy. And Jesus says, I want that guy. Everybody says, you are this, that, or the sum total of those mistakes. And you know what Jesus says? Hey, pure, come out of the tree. That's good news for somebody in here. Because you walked in through those doors, or those doors, or those doors, not by mistake, and you feel anything but pure. The sum total of your life, the choices that you've made, the things that have been chosen for you, the forces that have impacted your life, ahead of your life have left you feeling less than pure. In fact, you look in the mirror and you see what you did, not what Jesus has done. And people have called you things on your social media. They've said things about you behind your back. You've even had nicknames about what you did and who you are. But can I just tell you what the God of the universe sees you? Can I just simply say to you that Jesus sees you as pure? Let that sink in past the steel gate of your ears into the soft cords of your heart because that changes everything for you and me and us. He sees you as pure. What do I think, what do I think um, we hear? Well, I'll put it to you very simply. I think people are in trees. And you need to see them. I think there are people in trees, and I've been thinking a little bit about this. It's easy for us to see people in trees that have been shoved up there from circumstance or or living against the way that God would have them to live. And, And it's easy for us to love that prodigal that's been gone or that person we've been praying for, that person in the vicinity of our life. We can sort of see them as pure. We know they're kind of in a low spot of their life. Um, but there was one time when, you know, you know, where their behavior was a lot better than it is now. And so we kind of like get to the place where we could do that with a certain amount of people. But the further away they get from the vicinity of our life, the harder it is to see them as Jesus sees them. I'll give you an example for me. Because I've been really wrestling with this. Like how Jesus sees them and how I see them. And it's been very telling to me, like I'm still on this journey Will I ever arrive to be like Christ? No. At least I'm on the journey. But where it's been glaringly different, where Jesus is and where I'm at and where he's calling me to be, comes up every time I see this on the news. Where there's a guy in a black mask covering his face with a sword. And it's on some news outlet and there's a person in front of that sword on an orange jumpsuit that's a follower of Christ. They would probably go to this church if they lived here. Someone who follows this same Jesus. And they're on their knees in front of this masked man with that sword. And I don't know about you, but when I see that, my justice for the man in the orange jumpsuit sometimes is much different than the man in the black suit. And the Holy Spirit has just been dealing with me. Because I've noticed this in our culture where they always tell you that person's name. Like in that orange jumpsuit. They always say who he is. That man in the black with the sword, they, they never tell us who he is. But I think he has a name. And his name's Zacchaeus. And Jesus sees him a lot differently than I do. That's how big Christ's love is when we compare it to ours. That's why he's worth following. So I've got two challenges for you. As Kyle and um, the worship team just kind of come back, I've got two challenges for you. Those of you that are followers of Jesus, listen to me. You consider yourself a follower of Jesus. I want you to do something that maybe you haven't done in a long time. 
I want you to, the next time you're filling up your car at the gas station, I want you to lean over the gas aisle, like that island that divides humanity, you know, the gas pump. I want you to look at the person over there and just go, hey, I'm coming over to your house for dinner. <laughs> Jesus sees you as pure. What are you making? That's what Jesus did. I'm not asking you to do that, okay? But I am asking you to do this. Get outside of your circle of friends, get outside of your circle of family, and have a meal with someone that you don't know all that well that is in the vicinity of your life. I'll give you an example. Thursday, I leave to go on this tour called Outcry. It goes all over the U.S. We're going in the spring and in the fall, and then we go to Europe. It's with Hillsong and Carrie Job and Jesus Culture and all these musicians. An amazing move of God that he's doing to call a generation to worship, and I'm the speaker. And I'm going on this tour, going to preach and to do what I do, and the, God has been working on me this last year as this has gone. I'm going to go millions of people. So my wife and I, I just said, you know what? I don't know that guy five houses down from us. That neighbor that's kitty corner to us in our neighborhood, I have no idea who they are. And I'm going to go on outcry. It's out of order. So I made a map of my, of my block where I live. And my wife and I started inviting people over to our house or to a restaurant. Or sometimes even they reciprocated and it was we would go to their house. And we one by one from Google Maps, just like literally checking off houses on our list of people that we have eaten with to call them out of the tree. It's really simple. Conversion isn't your job, but conversation is. Get them out of the tree and Jesus will give you the words to say. Something as simple as funnel cakes unite us. There's a reason why God allows us to eat food through our mouth and it's a pleasurable experience. We're not like plants that stand in a bathtub of like ooze and suck it up through our feet. That's not why he designed us that way. He designed us to consume things but to eat together versus alone. So what I'm asking you to do if you're a follower of Jesus is to just do what Jesus did. Just, just do something simple like that. Take one person that you know in your life, not somebody that you follow, not somebody that follows you, not somebody like, like, like that's really not connected to you. Like you maybe know, but you don't really know. They're really not in your circle of influence or friends or life. And invite them to be a part of it. Just invite them over for a meal. Cook for them, like a real meal. And put the cell phone in the drawer. Like, like really be in that space with that person. You, you can't believe what kindness does for people. My, my friend uh, Josh was planning a church in St. Louis, and he wanted to reach these girls um, that worked at this strip club. And he just said, Eric, how do you think we should reach these girls that working at this strip club so close to our house and I was like, I don't know. Make them cupcakes. Who doesn't like cupcakes? So they made them a bunch of cupcakes. Went to the door and knocked on the door and the, and the big old bodyguard bouncer guy has got this big beard and he wasn't tattooed up and just a really hard guy and just like one of those moments where like it could go either way and these, what do you want? And a few other choice words, and we're not open. And, you know, Josh and his wife are just like, we, we brought cupcakes. And the guy's like, well, why didn't you say so? Come on in. And there's lives that have been changed because I think the enemy is afraid of cupcakes. Like, I think cupcakes with sugar and flour and icing... Um, are just ordinary, but I think in the hands of someone representing Christ, it becomes something extraordinary. So all I'm asking you to do is to get out of yourself for once. Maybe once a month, make it a family goal to eat with somebody that you don't know. Stop putting up excuses about the busyness of your life. I've, I've lived in there. I've traveled. I'm on 200 planes a year. Okay? 
I get it. The busyness, the pace of life. Stop letting the busyness erode the places where God is just calling you to see right in front of you. Make it a meal. Is that really crystal clear? Because I've been thinking about this church. Like the non-traditional and the traditional service. And you know who I've been thinking about? Not you that sit here. You know what I've been thinking about? The family that needs to sit right here. Dad, the mom, that were on the verge of divorce, and somebody invited them over to their house and shared the healing resurrection power of what Christ can do in their marriage, and then their kids get their mom and their dad. Who is it? Who is it? Because that's who I've been praying for. These four empty chairs. Let that be that for you. It's time to, to, to really be followers of Jesus rather than attendees at a church. And the simplest way to do that, time and time again, you see Jesus doing that over food. Like when he's resurrected, he doesn't make a speech. He doesn't get this big old banner out. He doesn't post it on Facebook. He just makes his friends breakfast. Start there. Who knows what God will do? My second challenge is this. For those of you that are here that do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you have never done this, or maybe you have made that decision a long time ago, but you have been living for yourself and not for him. And in a very real way, you've been shoved up in a tree. You've placed yourself by your own admission. You could labor yourself a this, that, or the other, but Jesus sees you as pure. And what I'm telling you today is come out of the tree. Just come out of the tree and and follow Jesus again, or for the first time. And so I'm going to ask you a question that maybe you don't always get asked. But do you want to become a follower of Jesus? Are you up in a tree, and 2,000 years ago, he sees you up there, and he says you're pure, and all he says is, come follow me. I got a better way than how you're living. If that's you, I'm going to just simply ask you this question. I want you to stand to your feet, because I want to pray for you. It's a big step. It's a big step. One, two, three. If that's you, stand to your feet. Amen. I'm proud of you, sir. Ma'am, ma'am. Stay standing. Stay standing. Anybody else? You're sitting there thinking, I didn't think anybody was going to stand. I should have stood. I missed it. Well, guess what? God's a God of second chances. I've had plenty of them. Stand up if that's you. I'm waiting. Proud of you, sir. Ma'am, I'm proud of you. I don't know how it's going to go, man, but I do know this. Following Jesus will make things possible, not easy. And the father that you will become, the man that you will become, will not recognize who is standing right here today. What God will do in your life will so radically change your life, you won't recognize your old life. I pray that the Spirit of God would invade you. Like the God of the universe that made everything that you see would never leave you alone. He'd be relentless in his pursuit because you are his son. Do you understand that? Those of you that are standing, I would say the same to you. And those of you that are sitting, that are followers of Jesus, I want you to go to these people right now and I want you to stand next to them. If you're a pastor of this church or if you're a prayer counselor, I want you to move to these people right now and move to this, this couple right here. Move to this gentleman right here. What I want you to do is simple. Right over here too. What I want you to do is pray for them. And those of you that stood, let's pray for salvation. It's believe and repent and you'll be saved. It's in the Bible. It's that easy.
And those of you that are standing around these that, are, that have stood, listen to me. Listen to me. Get their name. Get their number. Take them out for dinner. Be the church to them. Help them live this out. Coming to Jesus is one thing. Becoming like Jesus, we do this together, not alone. Those of you that stood, you can pray after me, or you can pray like me, or they can lead you in this prayer. But let me pray, and let's pray for salvation. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are God's Son. You sent to this earth to show me how to live and show me how to die. You were crucified for me, but you didn't stay dead. You are the resurrected king, and you're resurrecting me. God, I just need you to interrupt my life. I need you to interrupt my life and continue to change me into who you need me to be for this kingdom. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I beg, I plead, I speak it forth. The church says, Amen. People are in trees, church. See him. That's how we change the world. One life and one meal at a time. Stand with me. Let's sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. To follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back.
today as we go into our work and into our schools and into our homes, that in everything, God, all we have to bring, every part of it, we give it to you. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And everyone said together, amen. Good. God is good. Thank you for being here today. As you leave today, if you are someone that made a choice next week, I want to remind you we have next steps. We want to talk to you. We want to follow up with you. Walk through this journey with you. Come and talk, find a pastor down front. Meet us next week in the room for next steps. Eric, thank you for being here today, brother. God using you. A, a table in the lobby where you can talk with him and, and see some things to remember this day is a day that is marked in your salvation journey. Go in his peace and his love. May his light shine upon you. You're dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.